I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. This week, I'm speaking to Anushka Dukas, MBE, founder of Links of London and Anushka Jewelry. Anushka is a complete role model of mine. Not only is she one of the most hardest working women in business, but she's doing such an amazing job in inspiring the next generation of female entrepreneurship. She founded Links of London in 1990 with her husband, John, in which she designed cufflinks and jewellery that had never been seen before. The Links of London charm bracelet was a 90s phenomenon. In turn, the brand became a huge success with sales of over £50 million. Then in 2006, she sold the business and started again under her name Anushka, making jewellery that she loved to wear. Her beautiful handmade fine jewellery continues to garner the fan base of inspiring women such as Emma Watson, Gwyneth Paltrow, the Duchess of Cambridge and even my girl crush Adele. Anushka says entrepreneurship has always been in my spirit, something I inherited from so many inspirational people I've been lucky enough to have in my life, both friends and family. As a successful businesswoman, I'm driven to support other women to realise their own dreams. To that end, she balances the business with inspiring the next generation of females supporting the charity called Give a Future. I had the honour of spending some time with Anushka at her London home, where we chatted about the jewellery industry, the loss she felt when she sold her first business, Links of London, and then starting all over again by putting her passion at the forefront. As a custom jewellery-aholic, that's what I call myself, I literally feel like a kid in a candy store whenever I'm around your creations. Your jewellery is my heaven. I know you're going to blush. It's a way, actually, that I've remembered my landmarks when very special things have happened to me. I have purchased a piece of your jewellery. So every piece of your jewellery for me is a, a life moment. And so when I thought about these podcasts, you were completely top of mind. That makes me want to cry. <laughs> well, I, I feel quite, I feel very honoured being here. Just to keep the blushing going, you're <laughs> you're one of my female role models. You founded two hugely successful businesses. You're empowering so many women, so many young women, which we'll come on to later. I don't think many people know, actually, that you're the lady behind your first business, one of the most well-known jewellery brands on the high street. So I'd, I'd love to start at the very beginning. Where did your passion for jewellery actually start from? I think if I'm really honest, I'm not sure I knew I had a passion for jewellery or indeed when I left school, anything particularly. It wasn't it wasn't obvious. And so I I fell into designing jewellery from a very unauspicious start, really, because my mother had a fish business and I was living in the Far East at the time. And she rang me and she said, look, I've got 60 chefs, best restaurants in London. I need to give them a present. Have you got any ideas? Like, Not really, Mum. I'm selling property <laughs> to living, people living in Hong Kong. Not really. But I rang her back a few weeks later and just said, actually, you know what? I found a fantastic craftsman in the Philippines because actually from Hong Kong I used to travel every weekend. Why don't we find a picture of some fish in a book and we'll make them into cufflinks. You can give those to your chefs. 
So, but it was cheaper to make double. So I commissioned this this uh, tiny little workshop in the Philippines to make 120 pairs of fish cufflinks. There were fish on one side and fish bones on the other side. In the meantime, I'd kind of moved back to London and I was selling property, working for Hamptons. I mean, it couldn't have been more <laughs> different. And so I sold mum the first 60 and I had a 60 remaining. So I thought, well, OK, I'll ring the buyer at Harvey Nichols in my lunch hour and um, see what she says. And I went to see her and she, and I'll never forget her, she was called Fiona. And she, when I went to see her, she said, look, I, I love these fish cufflinks. Bearing in mind, it was kind of early 90s. So all you could buy was kind of silk knot, kind of elastic cufflinks. And she said, well, I can't, but I can't take one design. So if you can think of any others, come back and see me. So oh, marvellous. Oh, okay, I'll go back. And <laughs> a few weeks later, I went back to her with about six or eight uh, designs of pig head, bum on the other side, golf bag, golf ball, various things like that. And um, and she said, fantastic, I'll, um, I'll take all of those. And that kind of, well, in a long-winded way, was, a, was the beginning of Links of London. My goodness. You say you didn't necessarily, you know, know you loved this sort of world of jewellery. But, you know, you could have said anything to your mum. You know, you could have said, oh, well, this lovely hamper box would be great for these chefs. Do you think that there was something in your childhood that lit a chord or... Or yeah, that's really interesting. I've never really, I've never really thought about it till right now. But actually, my mother's jewelry box sat on her dressing table, and it wasn't that it was full of unbelievably precious, expensive jewelry. Some of it was bought at market. Some of it was stuff that she was given. But I, yeah, I used to play with it all the time. So maybe it. It, it just it sort just of sat kind there. of happened. And yeah, yeah, because, you know, to say that you just instantly just thought of these cufflinks, you know, it's it's quite an it's quite a, a thing. You could have said anything. And so but it's it's just interesting because sometimes when you do really look back, you see these little seeds that you think, oh, that's maybe where it came. No, from. you're absolutely right. That's oh, well, I, I didn't I didn't mean to have one of those moments. No, but there we go. Kind of, yeah, right at the beginning. <laughs> So you started Lynx of London, an iconic brand. I remember a stage when um, the Sweetie bracelet was one of the most coveted gifts. I think people won't quite believe it now, but like your fish cufflinks, you just couldn't, as you said, get anything unique or customizable in the high street back in the sort of 90s and noughties. It was, it was quite relatively bland. So I think people were obsessed by not only the fact that you could make a piece of jewellery personal to you by picking charms that meant something to your story but also that the charms were beautifully made in silver they were fun I remember charms like the red hearts the tiny handbags the martini glasses um, the twister ice lolly was one of my favourites so you've certainly paved the way for this love of personalisation was it an exciting time seeing everyone wear your jewellery or beginning to be part of their lives in a very special way? Oh, my God, it was the most exciting thing. I remember when I was um, very little, I must have been about seven or eight, I used to make probably the most revolting shortbread. But um, <laughs> cooking is definitely not one of my strong points, if you ask my family. But I used to make the shortbread. And we, I was brought up in Kent in a little village called Penshurst. And I used to stand, Penshurst Place used to be open to the public. And I used to stand at the gate trying to flog anybody that was leaving this shortbread. And my mother would not let the cars out until they'd actually paid <laughs> 20p to get the Good shortbread. So, so I, I think it started from a really young age. And the, 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 the pleasure it gives me when I see somebody walking around with a with a Anushka bag now but but then um you know I mean immense pleasure and you know I'd pull up at traffic lights and somebody wearing a sweetie bracelet I'd almost want to wind the window down oh I designed that <laughs> it was just it's yeah. just such a tell me just about the landscape at that time take us back to starting links and what was around you was it daunting well I think what was what was really interesting um I mean you know a lot of people won't remember this, but actually we started in kind of 1990. And at that time, 
jewellery was pretty much county jewellers and they would literally stuff every piece of jewellery they had in their window, in the box, and it had no particular cohesive anything about it. And you and the other thing is you could buy presents for men really, really difficult. I've found that very difficult. And actually, you know, what did what did I give my father, my boyfriend, my you know so the the landscape was absolutely fundamentally different. And I guess I I didn't see anybody really making jewellery that was affordable and accessible for you know for for presence. It was very much for me. It was mm-hmm. about presence. And also, I think I I kind of started to design jewellery that marked my stages in life. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about charms and kind of marking those those things, that, that's something I still very much focused on I've realized that now so as I had children and godchildren I realized I wanted to give them something that they wanted that a they wanted to have b I wanted it to make it easy for godparents to get the next present and the next one and all of those things so yeah it, it was just a very it was a very different time and I think that kind of brand I guess didn't really exist here it really didn't exist so um so you, know, you really, you really, you, know, you were pioneering. You broke the mould, in a sense, for giftable jewellery, but sort of starting, starting to get into sort of heirlooms where godparents would give this gift, but it was silver, it was, it was put together as a brand. It was, it's quite incredible when you look back, that wasn't that long ago. That well, maybe it is a little bit long ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it's quite long ago. Yes, <laughs> I just forget. I forget. It's quite so long ago. I, I just wanted to ask, if you don't mind me asking this, you lost your mother quite young. How did that form you? Did it drive you to create this successful business? Or I've heard many small business owners who I mentor admit that their businesses actually save them when they're going through a difficult time and. I think she was a huge inspiration to you. I, I heard she swapped Highland cattle for her first car. <laughs> so is that entrepreneurial spirit in your in your DNA? I think it is in my DNA. I mean, I um, I'm an only child, um, and I was really brought up by my mother. My father lived in New York, so I was incredibly close to my mother, and she died very very suddenly in three days. So it oh. was absolutely. I was totally polaxed by that. And I was working for Hamptons at the time and I had to very immediately give up Hamptons and take over her fish business, which I knew not a cod from a turbot. I mean, I really knew nothing. (laughs) Um, But I think to answer your question, the... My God, it was hard work. You know, I used to get up at four in the morning, drive to the coast, buy the fish straight from the boats, from the fishermen... And then call the restaurants and find out, you know, what they'd want. But and then I would be doing silver in the afternoon. I'd be, you know, calling department stores, etc., for links. But I think the answer is that that I couldn't have got through my mother dying without having had links. You sold links, which you co-founded with your husband John in two thousand and six. You had 48 Lynx stores and a wholesale business, turned over 42 million. I've heard you say that you decided to sell as it was becoming just that little bit too big and you weren't seeing your children enough. That was a very brave decision. What was that whole time like for you in your life? In the lead up to the sale? Or the lead after? up for the sale, the sale, that sort of, you know, it, it, as you said, it, it was a massive part of who you were, I, I presume. Yeah. It was it was a massive part, but I don't think uh, I realised quite what a massive part it was until after we'd sold it, as I'm sure many people have told you. But the decision the decision to sell was probably very much came from me rather than John. I felt that it had got very very big. My experience is when a business gets very big like that, the creativity tends to go and it becomes a bit corporate. And so, you know, I'm a very much a now person and I've got no shortage of ideas of what to do. And when I go to, you know, the merchandising department and say, right, I'm going to do this, we're going to do this. And they'd say, oh, no, well, you can do that, but you can't do it for 18 months because the franchises haven't this or the marketing. Anyway, 
you know, all of that, I'd be like, you know, I'd be dead in 18 months. I need to, you know, so that was a major reason for me to sell. And as you said, you know, I was uh, I was on a plane a lot and, and I felt that I was going to really miss out on on seeing my kids and, and being around. But I hadn't realised the moment we signed the signed the deal, came out of the lawyer's office, uh, we said, right, let's go shopping. And uh, John and I went shopping. He went one way and I went the other way. So we were back in an hour. We both came back. And he said, what did you buy? I said, I didn't buy anything. <laughs> I couldn't buy anything. And I said, what did you buy? He said, I bought a pair of socks in the sale. So, <laughs> um, but, but you know what? It felt like losing my fifth child. I mean, there is no doubt. Um, and that, that, that's kind of that sense of loss. And you don't really appreciate, I'm sure you know all about this, but I, I, you don't really appreciate how much a part of you it is, how much a part of your makeup, your personality. And weird, one of the really weird things is like day, day one after selling it, no more emails, no more telephone calls, no more, you know, I got, you know, a cardio delivery. Um, and suddenly there's a real loss of, you know, yeah. what do I do with myself? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's weird. The, 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 the fact that... Um, I don't think we actually hear a lot from female entrepreneurs, that sort of viewpoint, actually, what that feels like. And I think that describing it as a loss of a fifth child is very articulate because it's, as you say, from being the sort of central point and sort of everything was like a magnet almost to then then the phone not ringing, the emails not being there. And the noise not being in the house and the, you know, that sort of thing. And it's, it's incredible. Did you feel that at that moment in your life, did you, you say, oh, gosh, yes, I can be there for you. I can, I can come and pick you up. I can, you know, to your kids. Did that, did that seem like a sweet part of it all? Yeah. Do you know what? I really, uh, there was a period I really enjoyed that. But weirdly, I was a bit nervous about that. I've never been, my entire children's school career, I had never been at the school gates at lunch. It was scary. It was really scary. I was just used to dropping and running. But suddenly I was there and actually, I thought, actually, no, I'm just going to go to Sainsbury's. (laughs) It's really scary. Yeah. And did did they like having mum there? I think they liked it for a bit. And then I think we all decided that, Actually, having worked, you know, having really worked since I was 18, I wasn't really used to not working. And by the time I dug up my garden twice and re-landscaped and, you know, and been the nag from hell, I suspect, um, I think both the children and I decided that, you know, you need to get back to a day job. (laughs) And there's no question that it is easier. It is easier. I so admire women who are able to you know, look after their children full time, because that's a really tough job. That's it's, a really, it's really, a really tough, tough job. job. Yeah. I remember when um, uh, I had a change in my career and found myself at the school gates. And I remember for the first week, I would pretend to have phone conversations on my you did the same I would pretend to have phone conversations on the phone and I would stand in the in the gate and in the where we were picking up um Harry and I would just have these fake calls and then one day the phone stupidly rang as I was having a fake call and I just thought and you know I was thinking gosh Holly you know you've been able to handle a lot of things in your career why can't you just stand there but there's something about that that thing that you've you've not been present, you've not been part of that world, and it, it it's as daunting as walking into a boardroom. Oh yeah, without doubt, because in a boardroom you can you can uh, you know there's a kind of bit of an armour or there's is I don't know it just it's really hard. It's different. It was very hard, and then you're forced to kind of look in the mirror. It's like okay, so I haven't got this job, people, emails, you know other persona I've just got me to deal with and and that's quite scary if you haven't had to do that for, for ever you know since Whatever, you were yeah. 18 <laughs> yeah I, I agree when you think about basically it was a family decision mum you've got to 
you've got to have a day job. You know, we've, we've, we've sort of, this has all been lovely, but, um, you know, you've got to have a day job. And it was about 18 months, I believe, after Selling Links that you founded your new business, Anushka. How did you find that second business startup? Well, I, you know, in, in, in between selling and starting Anushka, John uh, started something called Brands of Tomorrow, which I'm sure you're familiar yes, with. Yes, I am. And I was a mentor for a lot of those young brands. I still mentor young businesses as well. But I found it quite f- very enjoyable, but quite frustrating at the same time, so that you talk to them and say, look, I think that this might be an option. This might be a way to go and sh- you should introduce this. And then a month later, you go back and say, so... What did you did you do that? And then no, I didn't do that for X, Y, and Z reasons. Or I'm sure very sensible, or you know, their prerogative, their business. But I found that just so frustrating that I wasn't in control of my own destiny, and I kind of always have been. So there was that, and there was the I had continued to design jewelry for myself because I couldn't find you know nine years ago the landscape was very different. You could go to the high jewellers, the Cartiers, the Boucherons of this world, and links. And in between time, in between those things, there wasn't very much. And so I just designed what I wanted to, what I really, what I wanted to wear. Um, and that's what I do. I, I design what I, what I want to wear. Um, and so it's, it seemed like, you know what, I love what I do. Is I'm absolutely passionate about what I do. So why don't I do what I love. And it was as simple as that? Did you realise that you were in love with jewellery? I don't think I realised until until then, actually, that I, that I really do love jewellery and I love the, the whole design process and the ultimate piece of jewellery that one creates. But I, I honestly don't think I realised that until I didn't do it anymore. Wow. So... Anyway, I'm very lucky. I'm doing it and I absolutely love what I do. And and this landscape, though, so from Anushka's nine years old? Nine years old. Nine years old. So the landscape has probably changed quite drastically from, let's say, starting links to now. Online shopping being obviously a very dominant part, uh, marketing changing, more competition. How have you navigated this sort of new the new landscape, or do you not feel it is a new landscape? Oh, no, it's a totally new landscape. There's no question about that. First of all, there are a lot more jewellers, you know, designing jewellery that's that's 18-karat gold and, and between the space. But, I mean, I think one of the things I learnt from Lynx is, is the, the real need, the second time I wanted to make it very simple. So... We don't have a wholesale business. We we don't have a franchise business. I don't see a need for shops all around the world. And so we own the relationship with the customer. So you, the customer uh, is either shops with us online or they shop direct with us in one of our one of my two boutiques in London or they shop in Hong Kong in a store that we have there or indeed in concessions in Harrods, Harvey Nichols, Liberty. But I own that relationship, and that's fundamentally different. And obviously, uh, you know, online has changed everything. There is no need for for endless bricks-and-mortar stores all around the world. But from a marketing perspective, there is still the need, certainly if you're, if you're hoping to grow your business online, is a real need for trust. So... You know, having a Anushka in the Mandarin Hong Kong, whilst probably it's very early days for, for Anushka in Asia, but to be linked with a brand that they really do know helps their trust element. And so, you know, I see that as kind of part of a marketing uh, exercise. So I'm interested to actually just touch on that in this day and age with online, how everything's moving. So let's talk about the extreme of Amazon having a store with no no, no one at the till, no actual human being in the store. The high street and what we're seeing today and what's happening to the stores. I certainly, you know, I've gone from online to having my own little shop, Holly & Co, so that I could learn 
the trade of independence, you know, so if I'm representing small businesses, it was fine about representing kitchen table companies or people, but actually what it was it like out there. So I wanted to sort of work that muscle and understand it. From your point of view, when you look at your future and your actual physical stores and the cost of those versus, let's say, an online sale, you know, the difference there. Do you think it's an important thing for your brand and always will be whatever's happening on the high street? And and how do you see brands like yourself existing on the future high street? Well, it's a huge question, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, just if you could just, could you solve that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I could just solve that with yeah, give, just, give me yeah. 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do think, I mean, you know, shopping has changed immeasurably. And, you know, more and more, it is about the experience. It's about the the way you, you're treated. It's about customer service. It's about the emotion of how you feel and nothing more emotional than jewellery, really. So I think the challenge is how do you make your stores a really good experience? And I think that's about education. It's about learning about how things are made, about the craft, about all of those things. But I'm not sure you need to do it everywhere. I just think it you need a, a, a home of Anushka, I guess. And do you believe other brands need physical homes? Do you think actually what you've learned from having your store, you know, had a lot of stores at links and you have less stores at Anushka, but you, these are much more, as you said, the home, the sort of the embodiment. Do you feel that brands in the future should also maybe not just rely on online? It would just be interested to know what your thoughts are. Do you know what my... Uh, I mean, uh, on, a, on a personal level, uh, and I think so much of kind of what I do, etc., is is very much about gut and feeling. I think there'll always be a requirement and a human need for contact to be able to look at you and, and say, look, you know, explain what it is, explain why it is, etc. Of course you can do that online, but it's not quite the same. And I think that, I mean, maybe for selling fridges, you don't need to be doing that. But anything that is luxurious or is a treat or... Um, connects something, emotionally. It connects emotionally. I think you, you, you there is a requirement to... to you know, be able to go and touch it and feel it and understand it a little bit. That doesn't mean that the next time you won't go online, but the first time, I think it is really important. I mean, we we ship to 52 countries around the world, I think, now. And it's very difficult to know, unless, unless the customer has shopped with us before, did they see us in Harrods? Did they see us in Liberty? Did they come to us in Hong Kong? I don't know, but... I suspect that quite a lot have and haven't and couldn't do it whilst they were whilst they were shopping, but they might well have picked the piece of jewellery up and felt it and you know and then trust that it will be what they're expecting it to be. For those who aren't familiar with Anushka's jewellery, let me, as your number one fan, just talk about it here. You go for it. It's Uh, perfect. Oh, perfect. (laughs) So it's all gold. It's made from precious or semi-precious stones. The jewellery is textured, unpolished gold. I love it as it has this completely timeless feel. And it has, though still these elements of playfulness and personalization. I have my giant H earring and my smaller H earring. Um, These are most precious pieces for me and I get comments wherever I go. What's your design philosophy behind your brand, Anushka? It's very, it's it's an interesting one because design philosophy is quite a big kind of statement. But ultimately, I am a woman designing jewellery for women. And as a woman, I think I understand how things should feel, how one feels when you wear it. I think that uh, that jewellery for me is not about, you know, oh, look at me, I've got this socking great diamond on. You don't come to me for that. It's more about how it makes you feel. Is it playful? Is it relevant? And when I say relevant, I mean relevant to your particular stage in life, but also relevant to one's lifestyle. So a lot of my jewellery, you know, you've got 
you've got a little H on, you could wear it there, but you could wear it as a pendant, you can put it on your own chain. So it's very much about the personalisation that the jewellery allows because I think it's really important that you can... You don't want to go to dinner and see five people wearing the same piece of jewellery. You, you know, that's not what it's about anymore. And there are no rules, so I think that's the other thing. As I've, I'm very keen to take the reverence out of jewellery, and that is happening. It's definitely changed in the nine years since I started. But jewellery's there to be worn. It's not to be put in the drawer for when you're asked to some fancy dinner. You know, actually, you probably everyone knows how to wear that type of jewellery. I think it's much more challenging to know how to combine metals, how to... I mean, I don't think there are any rules anymore, but it's about how it feels, as you say, the kind of texture um, and 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 the craft. I mean, the, I am passionate about the, the way things are made and the detail. Um, that's a fundamental. So, you know, if we're going to make a, you know, this globe, I wear this every day, but the fact that it spins perfectly is really important for me. You know, we've... I've, did, I've just done a... Um, collaboration with a fashion brand called The Vampire's Wife. And that's very much based on Susie Cave's favourite Nick Cave songs. And one of the um, one of the, the charms that we've done is a little baby revolver. And the barrel spins, there's a one single diamond in it. Um, and there's just something so pleasing about that, about the, the you know, perfection in kind of miniature. You have to be your biggest number one customer. You, as you just said, you design for what you love. You believe you know women. You've got to be, you know, highly passionate about it. I can hear that in every everything, how you're describing your jewellery. And it, what it means is it's a lifetime brand. Do you agree with that? Do you agree that you need to be obsessed with what you create? I mean, I can't imagine not being obsessed with what with with certainly for, for me what I what I create but that's what gives it kind of life that's what gives you the energy the kind of passion that is so important you know um but jewelry is you know unlike fast fashion etc cetera, etc cetera, it is absolutely inherently precious but but that doesn't mean precious it needs to sit in the drawer but it is precious. precious. Yes. You know, my children will always know that I pretty much don't go out without my crown rings on, and that will evoke memories for them. Mm. And I think it's just. Mm, yeah. I, I agree. I, I'd, I'd like to ask that sort of similar question though. When you were in Lynx, it's maybe a different stage. You know, you had so many stores in Lynx. You had you were building that brand. Was it the same? Did you love everything that you created there? Do you know, I, it, it's an interesting question, but I kind of, whilst you're talking, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking, you know what, I think I did. Uh, maybe, I think I did. Um, it was very, uh, I would do things that, you know, made me smile. Now, And, and I think that was the fundamental thing uh, about it. it. It just needed to make me smile. Um, yeah, I don't think I would, I don't think I'd created anything that I didn't like and you know why I touch on that because it'd be interesting to know what you think about trends and you know and craftsmanship you know it's integral isn't it craftsmanship to your brand and your ethos and we're seeing the return of artisan and people want handmade pieces I think more than ever as we're getting to into a faster more automated world are you seeing that too in the jewelry world and and how can we help this growth and nurture talent for people to be more about craftsmanship and maybe less about trend. I've never, I've never really designed to trends. That's not my thing. But I, I design from from my kind of gut and what I feel is relevant to the world. So now, for example, I've, my latest collection called Seeds, and that's somehow that's I feel like we need protection in this kind of mad, mad place we seem to be living in, and and. The seeds, 
is, you know, it's it's new life. It's what what you what it means to me. And I think that's just about a feeling. It's not a trend. It's just about a feeling. So that's that's the way I've always I think. I've and when you designed. look at trends, so you consume, you're out there and you see other people who are very much trend based or what's your worries for those who are very trend-based I mean personally for me one of them is the longevity of being able to keep up you know when we talk about fast fashion or anything like that that there is no sort of settling or enjoying the journey because you can't sort of you can't control it you can't rest you can't control its destiny because you're not even creating it no I I mean I I, I, a exhausting (laughs) I mean totally exhausting and b I, I I agree, kind of no uh, true integrity. And that's just not the way I, I, I can design, I guess. It has to be a, it has to be a feeling and a, and, a, and a passion that kind of is what, you, is what you end up creating. Even if it's subliminal, you don't know quite why it is. And very often, I mean, you know, let's be honest, I don't sit here and think, oh, I've got to, you know, come up with such and such a new design I mean, and and it, it, it's something that just Happens. feels right yeah I think that's the other thing that's the joy of having a very simple business is that you know because that is the way I design uh, I don't have this kind of you know new season new intake new, you know it, it's it's a bit more fluid than that and allows you to be probably much more creative I think that's right yeah is it right that you, well, I know you don't have any formal design training. Uh, you started off designing your engagement ring, which I'm looking at, noted the moment I walked in. This is so important to hear because I feel like um, a lot of people just say either that sort of imposter syndrome, I'm not good enough or I, I don't have the right backing and background to be able to make it. You've mentioned you just you, you just fell into it do you feel that actually that's uh, a hidden part of this whole journey was that you didn't have that formal training I think it is actually part of the journey and um, you know sometimes it's been very frustrating but I think the benefits of not having a formal training have helped me tremendously I mean really tremendously actually because if had I had formal training I suspect you know certainly with jewellery where if you're formally trained you make it this way and no you can't polish it inside because the brush won't get inside there well I'm just I would just make a new brush you know let's get into the (laughs) into where we need to get so I think uh, it forces you to think outside the box and think kind of come at it from a different angle. And I read a quote where you said, we live in a society where everything is rather too immediate and we're not used to savouring the experience of customization. How do you think that we can change purchasing behaviours for the better? Because a lot of brands at this point in time are going faster and faster. They're having to, you know, to get that customer's attention is harder and harder. Gosh, I mean, I think the the narrative is absolutely essential. So important in 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 the integrity of the, of, of the of the business. Funny enough, jewelry is one of the probably one of the very few pieces of, 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 of consumerism, if you like, that people really do consider and really do aspire to. I think, you know, it's not like going to buy your next Apple or your next telephone or whatever. It's something that somehow or other you do really kind of think about it and come back and look at it again or kind of go away. And, and I really like that, really. I, I, I love that kind of journey of a, of, of a real decision. And, and you know, 80 to 85 percent of our customers are women buying for themselves actually and but wow I but didn't you, realize yeah that. it's it's extraordinary and I, I'm I, I kind of set out for most of our customers to be women but I didn't really think it would be that much I'm, I'm thrilled but it is absolutely something that they they go away and they think about and they consider and I think that's got to be a really good example for for their children, um, yeah. 
you know yeah. no longer do people you know the kids think it's you know they're going to save for their bike they're just like I don't like a bike and expect that they might get it for Christmas but they really you know that that feeling of of, of saving and really looking forward to receiving something that you're kind of yearning for yearning for and I'd be interested to know what you would say the purpose, your purpose within Anushka is. If it was sort of a love for women, you know, you wanted women to buy for women. Mm. I absolutely set out for that, for that to happen. And for, as I said, you know, early on, I designed jewellery. I'm a woman designing jewellery for women, so I really understand it. But I am... passionate about empowering women and jewelry is just one way that's a, that's a kind of physical way of showing that that but you know in terms of kind of mentoring young women for example i look after a microfinance program in ethiopia which is just about seeing if you give a woman if you lend in our case we lend her 30 pounds and we show her how to save which she probably has never done before tiny tiny amounts and then we teach her how to kind of look after the money and then we encourage them to kind of work out what business they want to run it may be just as simple as going to the big market and buying lettuces and setting up a lettuce stand at the end of her street but what it does is when 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 you see that woman six months later She's able to stand tall, look you in the eye and be so proud of what she's achieved because in doing that, a woman in Addis, for example, it touches five, six other people in her immediate family. So that the, the strength of it is just, it's so exciting. And just actually tonight, I'm, I'm very involved in Prince's Trust and we're just launching a Women Supporting Women programme. which I hope you might be coming I'm to. I'm coming, yes. Excellent. Can't wait. Um, and that is all about that. It's all about, you know, women who have been successful and, and, and how we can support and really encourage young women to know that they can do it too. And you also, um, I remember I spoke at a school for you um, and you have... your school program is that right absolutely right so I set up um, I guess in 2012 an inspirational women's program and that is getting interesting wonderful inspirational women like you to come into schools and talk about their journey and take the kind of mystery out of it and I think it's so it's so empowering they you know they suddenly understand that actually if you haven't if you don't lose leave school knowing what you want to do and i'm sure 95% of of women or men in fact don't know what they want to do just hearing those stories and doing you know what you're doing now it's it's just so mind enhancing and widening you just it's it's a lovely thing to be able to do i thought it was wonderful i remember going to the school and standing up and had i don't know a couple of hundred i i think it was a couple of hundred children or and i spoke about the less conventional routes you know i i myself you know didn't have a business degree to go to business school didn't have a tech background etc cetera, etc cetera, before not on the high street and talked about this sort of you know got a d in business studies dyslexic all this sort of thing and you could see the little smiles and things and then What, was expecting to leave and this queue this queue of children who all I mean I, I think it was maybe 15 deep each one was pitching their sort of business idea uh, me and my friend do this we do t-shirts that are glow in the dark we do and it was just amazing and you realize that the the times are changing it was amazing the program that you're running because I do feel that they were energized by just hearing that different story from where they were sitting in their four walls learning business maybe and you sort of just say well you know what I, I, I didn't get a degree I didn't do this but I've done okay yeah I, I, it is it's absolutely liberating for them actually I did I, I realized um, that I had everyone I'd sent into into schools to speak none of them had been to university and <laughs> suddenly the school was saying would be good to get somebody who has been to university I mean, okay but I don't know those people so well you know certainly you know. how interesting is that yeah. though isn't it 
We talk about women and how important it is um, within your purpose. You have influenced your own daughters. And I believe that your eldest has now started her own business. She absolutely has. Uh, how is that? Well, it's called londonvelvet.co.uk. If I don't I say that, should kill me. Do not worry. <laughs> I am looking at one of those personalised rucksacks. I, I was thinking, my goodness, the DNA is strong here. Uh, yeah, I'm so thrilled for her. Uh, she's uh, and that's her night job. You know, that's Is what's it? exciting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 fantastic, and she works unbelievably hard. But that's her night job, and I think you're right. That is the future. That is how people are going to do be able to do different things, and you know, uh, enjoy learning different things and her day job is a kind of tech sales so it couldn't be more different but the learning for her is they are utterly relevant and do you think that she has she mentioned that maybe you might have influenced her her love of entrepreneurism or designing well she probably hasn't mentioned it but I I, I, I don't think it's a complete coincidence <laughs> she may well disagree <laughs> but I do think actually one of the things that I think is is really important is you know when we sold links and waited 18 months to start another business I actually felt you know what I was I was we sold links I was 40 but I thought it was really important that that our children didn't see us sitting around doing nothing I didn't think that was a very good uh, role model to be so I think that is important um, I talk about running a small business is like being on this sort of epic roller coaster. What's been your proudest moment, your greatest high in your career so far? You know, I think um, I think a huge high was when John and I both were awarded an MBE and we were able to go to Buckingham Palace with our four children and John's parents. And uh, that, I mean, I, in my wildest dreams, I never thought that would happen so I think that really sticks out as a huge high and my daughter had been on her on a kind of you know gap year traveling and she came back especially for that it was it was a very very special uh day and so the opposite to the greatest high on that roller coaster is the downward loop in your career what would you say has been one of your biggest lows I think early 2000s when things post 9-11 were very, very difficult. And I had to make 17 people redundant. And that was incredibly, that was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make. And do you think that the, um, was it because you were close to these people? Was it because you had worked for them, with them for a long time? Um, Without doubt, you know, I, I I knew all those people very, very well. Some of them had worked for me right from year two. So it was like losing part of your family, really. It was a very, very emotional, difficult message to deliver. And also, it, you know, actually that, that whole period was the closest we came to going bust. So that was pretty low. And what and and getting through that time, how did you, how did you navigate? Well, I think I think as you say, you learn so much more when things are going wrong, and things are tough. Then you really have to focus and uh, kind of understand what's important, what's less important, what makes the boat go faster, what makes you know what what, what are the differences. So. Without being specific, I, I, I learned so much during that period that I that I still think I kind of uh, take, you know, take with me today. So we're coming to the end now. Thank you so much for welcoming me to your beautiful home, to sitting and just chatting about your incredible career. I know how bloody hard you've worked all your life from getting up in the morning at 4.30 to drive and you know pick up those fish for your mum's restaurants and or creating such beloved brands such as Lynx of London which I know holds dear to many people who have jewellery from that period also giving so many jobs to people who worked in these stores and pumping money into the British economy to then starting it 
all over again with Anushka to championing and supporting girls in this country, underprivileged women around the world and budding entrepreneurs whilst, you know, raising your own four girls as well. I remember telling you the first time we met uh, as a jewelryaholic that uh, I felt like I was meeting Madonna. Um, I remember it was, <laughs> you know, that. I look back and I think it was that cringy and I'm like, it just wasn't cringy because I just feel like it all over again right now. So I um, just want to thank you for your time and for sharing your story. It will really, really help people. Oh, thank you. I feel very honoured to be asked. Oh, gosh. Well, at this point in the podcast, I like to ask my guest if they would read what they've prepared, which is a letter to themselves. And I will leave it to you. OK. Dear Younger Me... There are so many important lessons that I've learned over the last 30 years, many of which I've learned the hard way, and many by complete chance. The most important piece of advice that I can give you is to believe in yourself. It might sound really corny, but it really is true. Don't worry about what other people think of you. Just go with your gut and trust your instinct. 99 times out of 100, it will be right. And the other thing is, no question is too stupid. Make sure you've had a, you have a good work-life balance. There are so many moments when you're going to find it hard to take a step back, but it's important that you do because it's in those times that you are able to be creative and to allow yourself to think. Trust your team and don't be afraid to hire people who are better than you. And remember that work can be fun and should be fun. If you enjoy what you do, then it'll never feel like work. Don't forget that what goes around comes around. This will become more and more important as you get older. Treat people as you'd like to be treated. You'll come across some very difficult people along the way and you'll need to learn to keep your cool in tricky moments. Good luck. <laughs> It's brilliant. Do what you love, love what you do. You know, that's something that is coming across so strongly in our conversation. For someone who has had 30 years of a career to sort of say that that's what has come out of all of it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Nat West, again for sponsoring this podcast. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering people in business. That's why they developed the NatWest Business Hub, which is full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals. Go to natwestbusinesshub.com to get started. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. I want as many people as possible to believe that they can build a business doing what they love. So could I ask a favour? If you like what you're listening to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to grin your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed